What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly. We just launched a brand new podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network hosted by our very own staff writer, Shea Serrano, called Villains. In the premiere episode, Shay is joined by Jason Concepcion and Sean Fennessy to dissect the iconic villain Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. You can check out the first episode and subscribe right now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The whole idea of, you know, a, a genre picture is up for grabs. There are no rules. A genre, in some ways, is about breaking the rules. Before there was that genre, there was something else. I'm Sean Fennessy, editor-in-chief of The Ringer, and this is The Big Picture, a conversation show with some of the most interesting filmmakers in the world. Steve McQueen is here today. He's the director of Hunger, Shame, and the Academy Award-winning 12 Years a Slave. His new film is called Widows. It's a heist movie, but this is no Ocean's Eleven. Set in Chicago, Widows stars Viola Davis, Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth Debicki, and Cynthia Erivo as four women battling expectation and fighting for their future. It's powerful and really entertaining. I talked to Steve about breaking the rules of genre and the future of where we watch movies. Here's Steve McQueen. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by the great Steve McQueen. Steve, thank you for coming in. My absolute pleasure. And what a lovely office you have. Oh, thank you, Steve. Unfortunately, you guys can't see it, but it's it's very beautiful, lovely courtyard. It's not so bad. It's not as good as your films. And I'm really excited to talk to you about your films. I really want to talk about Widows. But before that, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the period right before this movie started. So 12 Years a Slave wins Best Picture, and you are you know crowned as a great filmmaker in the world. What happens then right after that? We go to work. <laughs> Is that what you did? Well, yeah, you you do. I was doing this thing for HBO, um, which didn't work out uh, ultimately. But I think you know, I think one ha- what one has to do is just sort of get on with the work. I think it's very nice. Don't get me wrong; it's a great feeling. But at the end of the day, it's a ball. It's all about the work. It's all about the the stories that you want to tell and the films you want to make and the art that you want to make. Um, and I think you know, again, that's, again, it, that kind of attention is great, but. Um, ultimately, um, you want to get back to work. Did you have a sense that you could do anything you wanted after that moment? Did the, the seas part in any meaningful way? Or was it just, oh, I'm, I'm going to work I, on what I'm, I want to work I've on? always been on my own track. I've never, you know, again, I never deviated from that because I know, you know, I've always been my own path. So I didn't need to sort of think that, um, oh, now I could do this, now I could do this. No, I've, 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 I've been doing what I wanted from day one. So it was not a case of, uh, you know, wanting to spend more money and make a bigger picture or any of that, or it's just, my ambitions are my own. Um, and I, I, I am my own ruler in that sense. Did you have any sense that you wanted to do something in genre specifically? No, no. Again, it's, it's about the story and guess what? If genre comes with that, brilliant, beautiful. Um, but it's about the story. And uh, for example, widows from, for me, you know, I saw the original TV show when I was 13 years old. Um, and it just stayed with me. And it stayed with me because I identified with those women. As I said before, on many occasions, I, you know, those women were being deemed as not being capable and being judged by their appearance, similar to how I was being judged as a 13-year-old black child growing up in London in the 80s. So, you know, the story was so compelling, uh, which Linda the Plant wrote in 1983 when I first saw the series, series that I actually wanted to make it into a film. But, you know, to take out, basically to take the nucleus of that story, but put, put a different kind of background into it. From a mechanical point of view, did mm-hmm. you have to get rights and talk to the, yes. the original creators? And what was that like? Was that a, different for you? Well, no, I, I, getting the rights, I mean, it was very 
I was very grateful to the new regency uh, who bought the rights for me to make, to make the picture. And I, look, I didn't have to talk to Linda Laplante, of course. I mean, just get off, get, you know, you run off and, and do it and run off and make what you want to make. But I, for me, it was very interesting to talk to the source uh, person about why and how and what. Um, and just, to, she's, she's a wonderful woman. She's wonderful sort of uh, mind. And, uh, and I just wanted to get dig into the, these characters she was talking about. Of course, my characters were very different to her characters. So I took certain bits of it and, and, I, and, I, and obviously we, we, myself and Gillian Flynn, uh, the co-writer, we, 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 went, we went about our business. You know. Why move it to America? Well, specifically Chicago. Yeah. Um, I wanted to place the narrative, the nucleus of the narrative where it's you know, four criminals die through an attempted heist and their partners take on the reins of their last, of their last job. So that's, that's what I took from, from um, the uh, Linda Plant TV series. I want, I basically, I want to plant it in a, into a contemporary heightened Western city. And for me, that was Chicago. I want to deal with race, politics, um, corruption, gender, religion, the whole shebang. And for me, that location was always Chicago because I went there 22 years ago. I went there when I was doing a, a, a museum show, uh, my first sort of museum show in the Museum of Contemporary Art. And my uh, wife, well, now my girlfriend at the time was going to the Democratic Convention uh, when Bill Clinton was president. That was 96. So I've been going to Chicago for 22 years. Uh, I always say my first footprint in Chicago was art and politics. Um, and what's interesting about that for me was that, you know, to see the segregation of the city and how people were rubbing shoulders with each other, Lithuanian, Polish, African-American, Irish, Italian-American, uh, 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 Latino community. It was amazing. Uh, so it was, for me, Chicago was rich pickings as far as narrative is concerned. And to take that, they, they take that fiction and place it within the narrative of, um, of, of, uh, of Chicago was, for me, a, a hand-in-glove situation. It's such an interconnected city, too, and it's such a visual city. How did you go about figuring out what you wanted, you know, your version of Chicago to look like? How did you scout it? How did you determine that? I, I just wanted to tell, tell, I just wanted to allow it to tell me what it wanted. So, you know, I don't go around with my stencil and put things on it and say, it's got to be like this, it's got to be like this. I basically, I mean, there's one one good example of that is this um, narrative piece in the, in, in, in the film where uh, there's a car ride and we go from a sort of disheveled African-American neighborhood, predominantly, into a, a, a more sort of affluent, predominantly white uh, middle-class neighborhood in, in three minutes in one car ride. That's how segregated, but that's how close everything is. It's so visual. It's deafening. Um, and I wanted and I wanted to tell that story through cinema. You have this amazing touch with the idea of gentrification and gerrymandering and the, mm. the way that the politics and, and class are kind of colliding mm. in real time. Mm. When you're working on something like that and you're bringing these big themes, and you said religion and crime and gender, is that something that you beforehand say – these are issues I want to hit on, or is it as you develop the characters, you find that they become vessels for those ideas? It was just fascinating. Chicago was just so fascinating. I mean, it's all there. Um, one doesn't have to flex their muscles. All of these sort of uh, strands of power all intersect, all you know, you know, uh, inter interact with each other. You know, if it's you know religion and uh, and votes <laughs> and politicians and the police and criminality. You know, I was introduced to Sir. Uh, to some kind of guy who was obviously involved in some kind of organized crime by a policeman. I know, you know, I mean, you know, we, we saw a lot of people, you know, off duty, off record. Um, not to say that he has anything to do with that criminal, but he was, he, he introduced he us to him. Yes. You know, I was introduced to the clergyman through a politician. Every, it's, all these things are interconnected. 
Um, I remember one day myself and Gillian leaving the FBI after we, we were there for th three and a half hours. And I think we were like a, we were like a therapy session for them. Because often I don't think these guys actually talk to, you know, ther therapists, I imagine. And because we we're asking so many questions and again, and going deeper and deeper and deeper and, and we're interested in their answers. I think they wanted us to sort of, they wanted to answer these questions. Basically, they, they wanted us to stay because I think they were having this conversation they hadn't had for themselves even. So after three and a half hours of myself and Gillian having this conversation with them, and Ian Canning, my producer, was there, we walked out and it was almost like we saw the matrix, as in these numbers keep running down our faces. It's almost like we saw how this city worked. It's one of those things, and then what was so fascinating to me to, to deal with that, but also to put the, this narrative in that to see how these women, you know, it's about these four women, how they surf and navigate. In fact, these women, in a way, in a way, symbol, a symbol, a symbolism for us as a, as an audience, as an audience member, as a public, how we surf and navigate our way through, you know, the cesspool we find ourselves in. Do we trust politicians? Do we trust the clergyman? Do we trust the, the law enforcement? Listen, this isn't a situation where it's, it, 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 it's one of those things where it's not bleak, but it's with eyes wide open. Tell me about heist movies and why this made sense as a heist movie. Because I, I like what you've done with it. It is It feels like there's some homage to previous stuff, but there's also, it is different. It is imperfect in some ways, in a way that a lot of heist movies sometimes make too much sense. Well, I think it's about life. Usually heist movies are usually done with men. Men are the, the, the main protagonists. And there's no there's no room for um, and, you know um, domestic situations like childcare or things or, or dogs or, or basically taking care of of, of one's uh, environment you know at, at home. So we want I wanted to sort of make a, a situation where um, we were looking at all those things which are, are not looked at but which have to be taken care of. And I think the whole idea of you know uh, a genre picture is up for grabs. There are no rules. A genre in some ways is about breaking the rules. Before there was that genre, there was something else. It's got to be about breaking the genre. It's a fiction. So it's all about breaking the fiction. There are no set rules. If there were set rules, every 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 heist movie would be, would be the same. And some are, of course. That's why it could be so bloody boring. So, you know, my job is to, is to, is to take, take from that and to move it on or to present a different interpretation of it. Was there a particular rule that you wanted to break that you felt like we should no. season this in a new way? Um, I'm, uh, again, I think women come into equation. Certainly. But, you know, again, I think also, you know, it's one of those things where um, it wasn't a case of me deliberately wanting to do anything. It was a case of what is it telling me? If I had these people in this scenario, what would happen? Again, it's myself and Gillian say, okay, what will happen? What would happen if? What would happen if? I think if you go into a situation like this within writing or, 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 or thinking or filming with an idea, I want to do this, I think, I think you, you, you'll come up short. It's got to be what if. And that's it, really. This is a masterclass in casting. I'm wondering how you went about picking the people to be a part of this, primarily Viola, but, but everyone, really. Well, um, I, I work with Francine Maisler, who's an amazing casting director, and she, the first person who was cast was um, uh, Cynthia Reaver. She, you know, um, Francie said, you've got to go to Broadway and see this woman. She's amazing. Uh, she hadn't acted in a film, right? She had never done a movie before. Well, that's, that's Francine. So I saw her, it's merely when I saw her, I said, yes. Then, um, with a situation with Elizabeth DeBecky. Well, I I met Elizabeth a long time ago on red carpet somewhere. So some, some place I didn't want to bloody be at but I, but I was there so I, I said hi bye I was like what am I doing I was like I, I asked someone asked me to go with them I said yes and I just I was regretting it anyway, never mind it happened um, so I wasn't thinking of her at all and then someone told me about her being in some play 
by Jean Genet called um, The Maids uh, with Elizabeth O'Pair and Kate Blanchett. Apparently she was amazing in that. Just, okay, we'll bring in to, to audition. Uh, so she was amazing at the audition. Um, Michelle Rodriguez. Michelle, I wanted Michelle from, from day one. Uh, I thought, Why? Michelle. She's got, there's something depth in her. There's depth in her. Absolutely. And presence. In her absence, there's presence. What do you mean by that? On her face, you can read. It's like a silent movie star. Mm. You know, those people was, were amazing because they became like mirrors. You can look at their face and see your own. You know, you can read them through their, through, through their face. I mean, p- people, you either have it or you don't. That's just, um, that's unfortunate for a lot of actors who are extremely good at what they do. But if you don't have that, it's a little bit more difficult to sort of uh, grab people's attention. And that's, for me, she has that. And of course, um, she said no to me at first. And uh, so, No kidding. Yeah. And then I had to sort of uh, go and meet her. In between that, I auditioned over 100 women and it wasn't, it wasn't working. And um, so I went to see her. And I was very happy that she, we met, because we had gone like a house on fire and that was it. She agreed. And I think she was a bit scared of it, the role as well. I mean, you know, she did a dramatic role, um, but, you know, I knew that she could do it. So, you know, again, and then the last one was of uh, Viola, who um, um, I was talking to some other actresses, I mean, talking to other, a, a, a number of people, and I met her. And as soon as I opened the door, okay, that, that was it. End of story. Viola's like an iceberg. The weight, the sort of depth, um, you know, the, the gravitas meaning understanding and that again it's another one situation where you can reflect doesn't matter if you're male or female or whatever background you come from you can see yourself in her i think i mean she reminds me of De Niro in a way uh, in the 80s and the uh, late 70s where you have this situation of someone who you there's a there's a very deep soul and that you you instinctively have communication with people look i think what De Niro had and hasn't had you know, from say, um, you know, Godfather two to sort of sometime in in in, in the sort of mid eighties, when these amazing films were being made, was a presence. There was a contemporary presence, and I don't know what that means exactly, but it was very, it was very resident. It was very sort of, uh, it was like the dog whistle going off. Um, and I can't really translate that into 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 sound meaning language. But I was, know what you mean, though. I understand. It's yeah, not, not unlike you Michelle. Felt, you felt him. You felt him. You felt him. Uh, there's much more um, substance as far as sort of and a dramatic uh, thrust is amazing. Um, anyway, going on. There's also a lot of great male actors in this movie, and there's this interesting mm. tension. I'm curious, even just in you talking about the film, since people have seen it, you have this incredible Daniel Kaluuya performance, mm. Brian Tyree Henry, mm. Colin Farrell, Liam Neeson. How do you balance making this story absolutely about the women? The women are the center of the story. Mm-hmm. They are the titular mm-hmm. characters. Mm-hmm. But then also making sure that everyone that surrounds them, who are, you know, in many ways a threat to them, mm-hmm. um, don't necessarily blot out what their purpose and their goals. Well, it's storytelling, isn't it? I think it's storytelling. I think, you know, again, the, the, there's four. The, the thing about a heist movie, as soon as you see it in the movie, as soon as you see the movie theater and the, and the curtains open and the projector starts running and it starts, the train has left the station. Um, so it's like a roller coaster ride from day one, visually. You know something's going to happen at a certain point. This is how it's going to happen. Then there's the second thing, which is the sort of whole idea of um, this emotional journey that these women are on. Things have been compressed. Things have been sort of uh, deliberately put upon them in an unfortunate way where they have to act in a state of grief. So the narrative, emotional narrative drive has been accelerated. So there you have the speed. Then you have the political aspect of the picture. How do you put politics in this picture? And you need pace. 
let's make it, let's have an election. So immediately, when you start the picture, we're nowhere into into election. It basically is a downward spike. Everything everything is moving fast and downwards. Then the fourth thing element of it is the music, for example, is Hans Zimmer. We don't music. The music really doesn't. The scores really start until forty five minutes into the picture. So then you have this thrust. You have this another another. So basically, the movie, in a way, it's like a it's like a it's like a river. It's like a first it's it's kind of chicane, and then it's a rapid, and then it's a waterfall. You know, it's all running downhill. That's the, the the momentum of the picture. So the men in the picture are positioned within that. They are a threat, of course, to these women. They are the threat to the women physically, and also, again, they are fighting with each other. I mean, they're right. I mean, look, criminals, you know, and and you know, again, it's 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 dog eat dog, and these women have no idea about what's actually going on. And that's what makes it kind of interesting for me and beautiful because they have an idea of the danger they're, they're in, but they don't have a real idea of the danger they're in. And the net is closing on them. So that's beautiful for the audience to have that perspective. They are the women and they know what's happening outside, but they're, they're championing the women. They're sort of, uh, you know, they are, they are sort of um, holding on to the women as, as, as a hope while this net is sort of getting shrinking, is, is shrinking and, and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So that's that's what you have to do. It's a case of plotting. It's a case of weaving. Myself and Gillian, I think we would just we just write it and 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 throw things out and put it. How do you? It's it's a wonderful thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, and you know, boom, you have it. Oh wow, it, it works. There, how, how people connect. So I'm going on. Sorry. No, you're, there's something really interesting that you do to make that net mm. close in. But even from the very opening sequences of the movie, you do this intercutting between this originating yeah. heist mm. and Viola and it's loud and it's quiet and it's white and it's dark. And I'm wondering when you're conceiving of the movie, do you see things like that? Or is yes. that something that you find later? That I, that I had, that, that I had before that I had day one. Cause I knew we had, we had to get to know when the train leaves the station, we need to know the relationship with those women and their partners at a very early point in the picture. So within what was it, eight minutes, seven, eight minutes, the movie started. It's like, oh my god! So you're so advanced in your in in in, in the storytelling that it's sort of uh, now you can sort of now go on a different change of gears. I think it's just it's exciting. It stimulates the audience and rewards them at the same time. So the beginning is a crest and a slap, a crest and a slap, and then bang! Won't do it with the bangers. Um, <laughs> go and see it. Um, but it's it's that kind of storytelling. I think is rewarding and stimulating for the audience because it keeps you on your toes and it rewards you. And it's like it's like two guys in a pub. Someone tells you a story, you're, you fall asleep. The other one tells you a story, and it's like, oh wow, tell me more. What what happens next? But they intercut it. They hold back on something, and they bring that one forward. That's for me exciting storytelling. This movie does something that is also really interesting, which is it shows a kind of love that we don't see as much in movies. It's an older couple. It's an interracial couple. Was that a really a pur- pur- very purposeful choice? It was a purposeful choice that these two people were, were, were you know in love, and that you know they 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 have a history for sure. The, the fact they're middle-aged, the fact that they're sort of, uh, of, of a different background, uh, for me, was very important. And they come from Chicago because these people, those people exist. Uh, Veronica uh, Rawlins, as a character, exists in Chicago. She exists in New York. She exists in all, a, lot, a lot of big cities in, in the United States, as well as her husband. And we, we know it exists because we, as an audience members, and, and you and me, we've seen it. We've seen people walk down the street who are middle-aged and mixed-race couples, just as we've seen, you know, two men uh, or two women or or heterosexual people walking down the street of the same race. So it's of no big consequence. But, um, you know, and I, I just, my, my, my uh, purpose in some ways for sort of uh, 
basically sort of looking at these two people in, in that way or bringing these two people together was because I needed to have a situation of the circumstances of the geography of this city where people are rubbing shoulders to each other and people are crossing over. I mean, that's, 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 that's America. Look around. What about the idea of memory? That plays a really big part in the movie, especially as we get into the second act. How do you conceive of how to put that on screen? Someone thinking about the past and remembering the past, but only in fragmented ways. Well, again, you know, it was myself and that was Joe Walker, the editor. I think, you know, what we, what we love to do is time. It's time. How do you, with film time, and how you can slip into something and then slip out. And it's, it's just exciting, isn't it? To sort of play with time within film and memory. And we do it in our every day. We're walking the street, we're thinking of, you know, a, a, a loved one. We're thinking of someone who's, who had, who's, who's been in our past. We see something which, we, which, which triggers an idea or memory of the past. And it comes into, in, in, into our present. So basically it's about bringing the past into the present. At the same time, moving the narrative on. Basically making it exciting. It's textured. Our lives are textured. And to bring it into the form of cinema and to entertain and to sort of stimulate is, I think, is, is, is exciting even talking about it. You mentioned Joe Walker. And now th- this movie, you have kind of a really like a, a, a crew that you have worked with several yes. times now. Sean Bobbitt. Sean and, Bobbitt. Uh, Joe, Adam Stockhausen. Adam Stockhausen. Hans Zimmer. What's it like now to have this sort of this unit? Is it easier to make these films because of that? Yes. I've been working with Sean my DP, Sean Bobbitt, for 18 years. I've been working with um, Joe Walker for 11 years. I've been working with Hans for um, oh, seven years now. Seven years. Do you now. all have a shorthand? Yes, yes. And and also Adam Stockhausen uh, is a beautiful man, actually. Beautiful guy. And and Jenny, my costume designer, who I just actually met on this picture, but she's going to be with me for life. Again, it's like, it's a band. You just like bringing a band together and you do it, and you do the album. And then you do the tour, which is, this is part of it, I suppose. And it's great because you know you're, you're together, you know how the things work, and it's, it's, you stimulate, get stimulated of each other. And it's wonderful. So you, you write a song, you bring the song to the band, and you start to jam. You know, that, that's what, it's basically like music. Uh, and then after a while, you get sick of each other, and you don't see each other for a couple of few years. Then you start loving each other again, and you start making it in a movie. Someone dropped out this, this year was, 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 was Michael, but that's been there, but that's, that's how it is. And, I wanted uh, to ask you about what it's like to make a film without him, actually. Good. It's okay. I, yeah. mean, I, love, the, I love the man, but it's like, you know, he, he was doing something else at the time. And we had some great actors. I mean, you know, I mean with respect to Michael, I love you, man. But no one missed him. <laughs> yeah. I was curious just rewatching your films uh, this week. It was n- kind of noticeable what a profound presence he is in your movie. So it's interesting. He's out of it. But, you know, it's a 10 years since Hunger. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if how you look back on that experience specifically and if you feel like you've changed significantly as an artist since then. Um, I changed definitely as an artist and said, no, I hope not. It's a d- very different sort of storytelling than what we have in Widows. Yeah, a story to technique, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, you know, if people want to call it more accessible, all that kind of stuff, whatever. But the intention is always the intention. You know, I don't care if I've got, you know, if it's, if it's acoustic and now I've got an electric. Um, the intention is always the intention. You know, you look back at any artist and they look at their first picture or their first album. The intention is the intention. Maybe they got more of this, more of that. Say, so, hey, sometimes people grow. Sometimes, and I'm not afraid of technology. I'm not afraid of how, how, how you could tell a story, but the heart of it still, still remains. And as far as sort of like people like what Michael Fassbender is concerned, I love actors. That's my bread and butter. So, you know, the fact of matter, look at, look at Elizabeth Debicki. Look at, 
uh, Viola Davis, look at Michelle Rodriguez, look at Cynthia Revo, uh, um, Daniel Kaluuya, Brian Tyrese Henry, all these guys. I mean, Robert Duvall. I mean, you know, again, you know. He's I've, fabulous. Oh, I, exactly. So it's, you know, it's about actors and story and how we tell the story, the technique. Um, I love the, ca the camera. I love the whole process of making a, a movie. Um, so it's not one thing over the other, and, and it's just about how you make the movie time. So you know, in order to stimulate and and to and to um, to enthrall an audience, it's exciting. Is there someone you really want to work with? Being such a lover of actors, Tom Hanks and really Daniel Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington. Why? Why those? Two? Maybe together that would be wonderful. Yeah, I just think they're beautiful people. I just on on film, I just feel that they. I just think they've got they've got it, haven't they? I think they've got America in their pocket. I think people listen to them. I think people want to listen to them. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I don't mean it in a, in a, in a way that they, they hoodwink the audience or hoodwink people. Just that there's a certain kind of truth that people respond to. I think that Denzel and Tom have a certain truth which people respond to. And you know, they're lucky to have it. And uh, yeah, I think that they're great. It's a weird thing about it. I've never said this before, actually. But definitely. Um, and who else? There must be someone else. Well, um, they have America in their pocket is a phrase I'm going to steal. That's a beautifully put way to describe uh, how what the, that their kind of quality as as performers yes yes and I've, and I've worked with Viola Davis who I always wanted to work with um you know so that that was something that um who else my goodness uh, I can't think but I, I by the end of this interview I'm gonna come up with, with, with a name okay too um I'm wondering you've now made a few films in America and is that something that you think will continue and what is it about the country that interests you well I'm not new to this I mean you know European directors have been coming to America forever. That is true. I mean, if you want to say, you know, Hollywood is a European base for for directors, absolutely. So I, you know, I'll make a movie in London or or, or Europe, and, and I'll make a, a movie here. So that doesn't really matter, you know. So yeah, is there still more here that you're trying to unravel and unpack? Look, I think you know, it's it's one of those things where you know, majority of my family come from the United States, mm -hmm. you know, uh, live here. So the world is not the world that people think. Okay, he's from over there. He's got nothing to do with us. It's, it's separate. He's not. There's a fluidity, <laughs> you know. I, I I live here, in somewhere in Europe, and I but I, I I'm in London, and then I'm in LA. I'm in New York. I'm in Berlin. I'm in Amsterdam. There's a fluidity, so it's not a case that um, nationalism for me doesn't you know not say it doesn't exist, but um, I've always been fluid. I've been coming to the United States with, with my meet my see my family since I was seven years old. I was there in '77 when Elvis died and, and the blackout in New York. So. America is, is 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 a part of me. I went to school here, so America is in my is in my DNA as much as sort of London is. So there's no kind of you know I I don't have American passport, but it's one of those things where it's a fluid situation for me because most of my family live here. Help me figure out how you understand what you're going to do next. How do you make a choice to say? Because when you walked in, you said, "Oh, you know, storytelling is the most important thing." You know, do people, everybody wants to make a superhero movie here in Hollywood. You've made a different kind of Hollywood movie. What goes into the calculus of your decision making? Well, I really wanted to make widows. I, I just thought I, I need to see these women on screen because they do not appear on screen here. And I really wanted to make a, a story which was people hopefully would go and see um, because these women uh, deserve a space, but also to talk about the environment we, we currently live in today, to make the environment an amusement park in a way, to go on this roller coaster ride with them through the trajectory of our immediate environment 
you know, twists and turns, the sort of dips and, uh, you know, the sort of the, 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 loop, the loop-de-loops, loops-de-loops and such. <laughs> and, and to get to the finishing line. I mean, that, that for me was exciting. So that, that's the reason why I wanted to do this, this picture, to follow these characters because uh, they'd never been seen before. So the next picture, for example, is, you know, again, I don't know. Again, it's like, I love cinema so much. And I, I love, look, the thing that really excited me about Widows was going to Toronto, Canada, going to London, going to Chicago, going to New York, coming to LA and seeing the audiences respond to the picture. There's, there's gasps, there's laughter, there's cheers. It's, it's a very vocal movie. And I had no idea when I, when I finished the movie, the last ingredients of what, when you finish the movie, of course, is the audience. And you never know how they're going to sort of... Uh, Will you sit in an audience and watch it with people, just a, pay, a paying audience? I have done, yes. I've done, I've done. And I heard, and, and actually got reports back on audiences' uh, responses. And it's all the same. It's just the, 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 the gasps and the cheers and the laughter. And it, it's, people are being very vocal. And it's like, that's the, that's the director's dream. That doesn't happen. Even at a very good movie, and again, it doesn't happen. So I was so sort of uh, chuffed to hear those responses from all of these different places in the world. So I thought, okay, well, that's great. So, because I, I don't make movies, I make movies for 200, 500,000 people. I don't make a movie for someone watching on a, on a laptop. I just don't. So to have that confirmed, reconfirmed through audience participation, vocal audience participation, was so encouraging um, because that doesn't happen often, if, if at all, really. So you will be making a film next. No TV for you, nothing like that. No, no, I'm going to make TV. You're going to make TV. <laughs> I'm going to make one TV thing for, for, for BBC. But the thing about the BBC is that I love the BBC because, you know, um, it's free and everybody gets a chance to see it. So that, that's different. Um, for me, but it's, it's not episodic. It's not episodical. Each individual hour will be very different to the next one. So it's not episodic. I'm making a, 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 a story about the West Indian community from 1968 to uh, 1986. There's little, little, little stories. Fascinating. What's that called? Uh, I haven't got a title for it actually. Uh, but okay. Anyway, but uh, but the, as far as next feature film is concerned, um, we will see. I've really enjoyed making pictures for broader audiences. So we we, we will see. The way that people watch movies is very interesting to me now. I'm curious, even just in your family, in your home with your children, how do they watch things and consume things? And are you trying to push them in a certain direction and watch things the way that you did? Well, it's very difficult because it seems kids have so little time because they're doing so many bloody things. Um, and for example, my daughter, I was trying to conversation with my daughter now, she's just turned 20. She said, the only time her friends go to the movies, if it's kind of a, an event movie, they have to see it in the cinema. It's a, it's a group of people, whatever. But to see a sort of great dramatic picture, they would rather wait until it's out on sort of an, on, on streaming or whatever, you know, it's all however they could get it. Right? Do, you, do you warn against that? Do you say like, oh, go see it in the theater. I need you. I'm a filmmaker. Support what I do. I do, and it's a better viewing. You, you, you have a, it's a better time. Listen, when you know you can't go to the bloody fridge every five minutes, forget something, or your phone's not ringing, it's a better, it's a different time space when you're watching a, a, a narrative. It just is. It adds so much. And also when it's big on screen, when the images are bigger than you, so it's sort of, you, it's projecting onto you. It's very different when you're sort of looking down at something. And in your film, especially the sound is so important. Yeah. It is so loud and so perfect. Yeah, it's great. I mean, again, again, yes, you miss all of that stuff. It's, it's, uh, oh my goodness. I don't want to talk sad about cinema. I don't, <laughs> don't want to talk sad about cinema, but I just feel that, um, well, you know what? I can't blame the audiences. I have to blame the filmmakers. That's a film I have to blame myself and other people like us, other people like me, excuse me. We have to raise our game. There's no two ways about it. I mean, this medium is, I think, is the best medium in the world. Totally the best medium in the world. 
So it's up to us to raise our games. We can't blame audiences for 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 their distractions or whatever. If we're only going to have a situation where people see event movies, uh, which is, you know, again, comic book movies and such like, it's a very sad day for cinema. But, you know, what I can say is that we have to raise our game in order to get, grab the attention of the audience. Steve, I end every episode by asking filmmakers what's the last great thing that they have seen. So I'm curious, what is the last great thing that you oh, have seen? Blimey. I rewatched Some Like It Hot. Oh, yeah. What did you like about that, seeing it again? It's, it's so fast. The pace is unbelievable. 1959, Billy Wilder. It's so fast. I mean, within 10 minutes, you're on a train going to flipping Florida. It's so fast. And so it's beautiful. It swings. It just swings. And it's... For a movie made in 1959, it's just so fast. It's so contemporary. Um, so that was very exciting to, to watch a picture which has this swing. It, it's, it's so, and I'm sorry for this old, old word, but it's so groovy. You know? <laughs> I think Widows is so groovy, Steve. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of The Big Picture. If you like where we're going with this show, please go to iTunes, rate, review the show, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like. Hopefully there isn't too much you don't like. And hopefully we'll be able to integrate that more into the future of the show. We'll be back again later this week with a conversation with Stephen Cable Jr. He's the director of a little movie we call Creed 2. And then after that, we'll be back to our usually scheduled exit surveys, Oscar shows, and more interviews with great filmmakers. Tune in then.